There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with... Andy Brant-Bernard. Alex Brant-Bernard Rasmussen. And Mike Molina. And we'll be right back. Kick off Hour 2. Some great stuff coming up in Hour 2. Dave Schrader will join us. Patrick J. Deneen will join us. A bunch of great stuff. Be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Uh. All right, we're just going to have to disable line one on the air during the show because line one sucks. And Alex tried to block it, but she went through to line two. So Dave Schrader will be calling in on line three, hopefully. Is there, is there any way you can just disable line one? I can, yeah, but just I... Unplug the, uh, yeah. unplug the uh, phone line from the, uh, the hybrid. All right, 
let's get that done. Because when Dave calls in, we want him on a nice... Oh, he's going to be talking about an interesting subject. Conspiracy theorists on school shootings. Uh, these, every time. I know these conspiracy theorists are unbelievable, aren't they? They're amazing, amazing people. Uh, that what, What's his name? Alex? Trebek. Jones. Uh, Alex Jones. Alex Trebek. <laughs> Although Alex Trebek is going to moderate a political uh, debate coming up. I can't remember where it is. I don't know New Hampshire or someplace, but apparently he's gonna he's gonna moderate the debate. Why does he get to talk about it? He's Canadian. It's none of his beeswax. Well, Mike, just let me know when Dave's ready to go, and we'll be good to go. All right, that'll work. So, Alex, yes, everything is good. Yeah, Fawn was really amazing on both plane rides. That's what I understand. She, yeah, Alex had to travel. And she was worried that, that Fawn might misbehave, but she did not down uh, leaving and then coming back home. She was good, too. Huh? Yep, she was fantastic. And I had the guys sitting next to me on both plane rides were, like, middle-aged men that weren't, like, super... Enthusiastic? Enthusiastic, but they didn't seem bothered by her. No. They kind of just kept to themselves. But across the aisle, next to me on the way back, there was a gal. She didn't have him with her, but she has three... She has 18-month-old triplet boys. Holy Hannah. So she was like, does she want my cookie? Does she want... She was like trying to... <laughs> triplet boys that are 18 months old. I know. And they've flown with them before, too. I'm like, I really? cannot even imagine. Yeah. At 18 months. Oh, my God. That would be a bit... Three. Three of them at once. And they, she had them naturally, too. Really? Yeah. Which, like, that like is extremely rare. How far apart? How far apart were they born? Minutes or? Yeah. Now, Alex, did you have to make an emergency landing because someone would not stop farting? No. No, you didn't hear. You didn't have that. I didn't have the. Uh, how about the Luckily. woman holding her panties up to the, <laughs> the the air blowing up? Did you hear about that? What? There was a woman on a flight. Where was it? In the, where uh, was that? She decided to take off her cotton panties and hold them up to the air blower that, you know, it's over your head on the airline. What? She held her panties up for 22 minutes in front of the. Air blower. Should I pee in them or something? What? what? <sighs> yeah, here it is. Insane video of woman drying her underwear on a packed flight is going viral. Look at this, Alex. <laughs> no! <laughs> ah, damn it. I just unplugged my See thing. See what happens uh, when you try to show me a strange woman's underwear. I'm not so it's from Turkey to Moscow. What the so, hell? Okay, I'm plugging it in the wrong spot. Where does this plug into? Why did I try to show Alex? God, why don't I have See? a few more problems today? Oh, you know where it plugs in? I thought it plugged in there, but it wouldn't come on. Or I guess it restarted. You probably have to push the power button. Probably just have to push the power button. Yep, that's it. Thank you. Is Dave ready to go? Dave Schrader. That's his name, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? Hey, Tom. I'm well, I, was, I wanted to touch base with you guys on the story that's kind of busting, and I'm so glad somebody with a, a large format is finally taking on these crazy ass conspiracy theorist right jimmy kimmel uh stephen colbert and trevor noah have all ended up discussing um this non-story story that's in the news about the uh, shooting survivors every time there's one of these tragedies um going back years even you know around the aurora uh movie theater shooting and mm-hmm. then with the tragedy at sandy hook and now here we are again Uh, with the horrific shooting that took place in Florida, there are these people that come out of the woodwork that have these whacked-out conspiracies that 
these are false flag operations or that they are not nobody was really killed these are what are known as crisis actors that are brought in to play this out so that the government can either try to figure out um how people will respond in these kind of situations and watch the rest of the world kind of either melt down or unfold with it uh if they have their agenda to try to strip us of our guns this is the way to do it by creating these false shootings that are not taking place and it's horrific um it was it was specifically uh, really a bad time at the Sandy Hook massacre that took place. Yes, uh, it was. I remember that. We knew people on the ground. Tim and I knew people on the ground out there. Um, I know a guy that was stepping over bodies at that (sighs) site, and he has no skin in the game in this deal. He's not being paid by government officials to claim that this didn't happen, but there are a large contingent of very violent and hateful people that will go to the ends of the earth to try to prove their point. As a matter of fact, if you remember when the little kids escaped Sandy Hook and ran to the bus driver's house, yes, and he helped them on their driveway, the bus driver began getting death threats from the truthers. What? Because the truthers knew this guy is part of the whole political machine. And now this guy who did nothing but, but protect and save the lives of these children and keep them safe until their families could get there, suddenly his life was thrown into chaos. And anybody around them had their lives thrown in chaos. And it is, it's a sickness, Tom. You know, doing our show, we've talked conspiracy theories from time yeah. to time. And if it's a Kennedy conspiracy theory or did John Lennon um, or, you know, Paul McCartney fake his death, those are conspiracies I don't mind chatting about because there's so much fodder out there and there's some legitimacy to this. But to start buying into the idea that the government or some special interest group um, is putting these things in play just to scare us so that they can, uh, the government can take away our guns. It hasn't happened, not since Aurora, not since Sandy Hook, and not through the hundreds of other shootings that have taken place. So I don't know when the conspiracy theorists are going to give up the idea that this is just a way for the government to try to take our guns away from us. Why do they keep thinking well, I mean, we're having all of these burials, all of these funerals? Uh, it's all fake. So all the funerals are fake and they're not burying anybody? Yeah. Show me the bodies. That's what their responses are. Show me the footage. Why isn't there footage of this? Why isn't there footage of that? And unfortunately, we do have the media to blame for some of these stories. And the reason I say that is, and again, using Sandy Hook as an example, everybody was in such a fervor to be the first one to break any kind of news on that story. Right. That they were they were taking, you know, somebody would be standing there and overhear somebody else say, I think there was somebody else walking in the woods. Hey, we just have this in now. There was a second shooter seen walking in the woods. Oh, yeah. And that was proven not to be true. There were all these (sighs) facts, but now they spin them out, and then these conspiracy nuts uh, start reading into this that, oh, the, the government's shutting down these news sources. And you'll notice that this school, and this is the other one at Sandy Hook, this school had been closed down for decades. It was nothing but a storage facility. Oh, my God. And you have people in the community whose lives oh. are shattered. And there are, there are moments, you know, I mean, and, and I can see, if you're on the outside looking in, how some of the points do look strange. One of the fathers came out after Sandy Hook to, to talk to people in this big forum, and, and he was dressed, I believe, in a suit, and a you know, bunch of the locals were there, politicos and, and everything, and they're up introducing him, and you see him off to the side, and he's talking to somebody, he's kind of laughing and nodding, and then he walks up to the microphone and gets very solemn and then starts talking about the case. Mm-hmm. They're like pointing to that, saying, look, he's a complete fake, he's an actor, 
two seconds ago he's laughing. Now he's he's up here sobbing and, and trying to make us feel bad about his dead kid that's not really dead. And again, without any kind of logic or rationale that maybe he was just talking to somebody there, you know, in in, in that brief moment there was a little bit of man, it's hot. Yeah, you sure it really is hot out here. This is not gonna be fun, you know, that kind of deal. And then he turns and he's talking to somebody about something unrelated and then walks up to the microphone and then has to start to speak about his child that was just slaughtered. Right. And that that may be where the emotion comes in, but in the minds of some of these people, no, that's not it. He's he's a fake. He's a, uh, a part of these crisis actors. And, and so and, and what is driving them to just to get everybody's guns away from them? That's what they think they're trying to do. Well, there's you know, there's many different topics. And there are some like I said, there are some weird ties if you look. I mean, it just so happened that they were there was um a, I don't know if it was a military exercise. There was an exercise that was taken close by near um, Sandy Hook mm-hmm. that was an interesting little exercise that was going on for, uh, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was terroristic threats or something, and it was in, close in the area, and they're like, isn't that interesting that it's right down the road from where this took place, and right. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're leading that to believe that this was just all part of that programming. Um, but the main gist is it's the, you know, gun supporters. And listen, I'm not saying all gun supporters, so I don't need you writing me no, email no, or showing no. up on my door. I'm just saying it's these lunatic fringe gun supporters who time and time again say these stories are fake because they're trying to take our guns away from us. Nobody's trying to take guns away. We're trying to find a way to curtail this kind of violence happening in the schools. And, and I know I read the new conspiracy theory is that um, the, the makers of the AR-15 we're recently uh, facing bankruptcy, and gun sales are down 20% since Trump took over office. And as this company is now facing uh, bankruptcy and looking to possibly fold, the shooting takes place, and all you keep hearing in the news is AR-15, 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 and now suddenly their stock is on the rise again because people are buying the guns because they're afraid it's going to be taken out and they're not going to be able to buy those guns in the future. So there's, there's a whole myriad of different conspiracies and angles that people are taking on this case, trying to make some point. But the real point of it is they're completely uh, dismissing the loss that these families are dealing with. I mean, that's the whole problem. How can you keep running your yapper about this stuff and these poor people? Have lost so much, and it just—I don't know. I, I talked about this this morning. If if I had lost Andy or Alex in a school shooting, I, it would have now been at least fifteen years ago. But I, I would have never gotten over it. I would have never right. gotten over that. Somebody going in and taking out other people's children—I I just don't understand uh, what the situation is. I, I I don't understand why. What is it? Do we understand the psychology of, um, you know, I, I, I like this and I like that and people are mean to me and I can't get along to anybody. So I think I'll go kill a bunch of people I don't even know. What gets no. your brain into that position? I, I don't know and I don't think I ever want to get into that no. point where I can even understand that. I mean, I, listen, I was bullied as a kid. I was bullied mercilessly. I got my ass kicked on a daily basis for four years. Yeah. I ended up having a nervous breakdown in fourth grade where my mom had to come to the school to check on me because I, I just couldn't stop sobbing and couldn't pull my stuff together. Yeah. She was witness firsthand of the things that were taking place at the school. And my mom, to her credit, heard me, listened to me, came in and examined it for herself, judged it, 
removed me from that school, put me into a different school, and I never had those problems again. Yeah, it's wonderful. Right, but you have those moments. You know, I mean, I, it was it was bad. I, I can't say that I understand something, then I, I want to go in and hurt everyone uh-huh. and, and do this damage. But I guess in this disassociative nature that we seem to be building, you know, where people are, are breaking from one another, breaking from community, breaking from the sense that they can talk to others without having their eyes rolled or, well, we all have problems, you know, yeah. the general answer that's given. I, I don't know why people are doing this. I don't know if they feel it's the only way they're going to get heard and they're going to speak up. But, you know, in the end, if anybody out there is listening and contemplating hurting themselves or someone else, there are helplines you can call and talk this thing through with experts who will watch and talk to you and help you through this. But realize that if you're doing this because you've been bullied, all you're doing is going in and bullying a bunch of people that never get a chance to heal from that bullying. You're going to take out a bunch of lives trying to show what happened to you, and that's not fair to the multiple lives that will be affected by this. Yeah, that's the whole thing. These people, these 17 kids at Parkland, I highly doubt any of them were the bullies. And, And this guy wasn't really bullied anyway. He was just a pain in the ass, wasn't he? He just wouldn't cooperate with anybody. He was just a jerk. Right. We don't really know what happened. We just know that yeah. he was expelled for, you know. For acting up. Not a great guy. Yeah, apparently not a great guy. I, I don't know. It's, you know, and I, it, people get locked in on these things. The first thing I heard when I heard about the Parkland shooting, why is it always these fat white guys that do it? Well, first of all, he's a thin Mexican, but other than that, uh, you know. Why do people jump to conclusions? Whatever they want it to be is what they see it as being. I think in a lot of cases, and why people are so willing to believe in conspiracies like this or pigeonhole things is because we want to make sense of a senseless tragedy. Yeah, I suppose. It it, it can't possibly be that just one person is that flipping evil and that they were in our community the whole time. It has to be that there's some grander scheme that the the government is doing this to take away control of guns or take away control of our schools. It's, it has to be something grander and bigger because then maybe, maybe then it'll make sense to us of how powerless we really are as opposed to just being good neighbors again and watching out for one another and realizing when you have a kid in your neighborhood that has issues and people taking the time to say, hey, are you okay? We'll take a quick break. Be right back, Tom Bernard Show. This is Tom, and I've been telling you how easy it has been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan. My goal has been to lose 92.5 pounds. Well... I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and I can't wait to shed those extra unwanted pounds. Nutramost is unlike any other weight loss program. It's just so easy, and they guarantee that you will lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. The team at Nutramost in Plymouth will support you every step of the way on your wellness and weight loss journey. Then, after you hit your goal, Nutramost in Plymouth is there for you with the Nutramost Forever Plan an all-inclusive wellness program that improves and promotes healthy living and choices. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost Plymouth, located just off Highway 55 and 494. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to hanging out on the dock with family and friends. Let Flow enhance your experience with their rock-solid dock systems. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Flow boat lifts are a breeze to level using a cordless drill with their patented easy-level system. 
Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Visit Flow at the Minneapolis Lake Home and Cabin Show at the Convention Center February 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Be sure to ask for the show special where with a qualified purchase, you'll receive a free three-piece furniture set or a free wireless remote. And mention you heard this ad on KQ for an additional $50 off a dock or lift system. To find out more about Flow Systems, visit their website at floeintl.com. Flow Docks and Lifts, a better way. Really, this is what you play? You've got to change your evil ways, baby. That is the deal. Dave Schrader with us. We're talking about this whole conspiracy theory thing. These nut jo- Didn't Alex Jones just go through a really hideous divorce and he lost his children and his wife thinks he's completely nuts? And what was his deal? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I try to stay out of Alex Jones's circumference because it just seems like a, a world of uh, psychotic nature and, and reacting, and that's just not where I need to be. Honestly, what? Uh, when did he get so big? Because he's got a pretty big listening audience, doesn't he? Oh, he's been know, around for a, a while. Of, yeah, he's been around for a while, but you've got a lot of disenfranchised people in our country that yeah. don't feel like they have anybody to listen to or turn to. And when you have somebody who's given power of a radio show that's heard all over and and he's put on CNN and MSNBC and all of these deals as an expert, and you start hearing from him. If, if he's appearing as an expert, he must be the real deal. You know, or, some, you know, yeah, if, that's if true. people want, want his opinion, it must be because he knows what's really going on. It, so I think he's, he's finding an audience with people that just feel like they can't find any other answers that make sense. So this guy, maybe it sounds so crazy because it's real. Maybe this is what's really happening. And yeah. I, I got to tell you, Tom, one thing that has me a little unnerved right now, you know, we got letters from our kids' schools yesterday, how oh, a lot of the kids okay. wanted to do a protest march and a walk. Right. And and I'm, I'm all for that. I think these kids have to have an outlet. I think they have to feel like they've been heard. What concerns me is it's being promoted on, on news that these students are doing this. You know, it's hard enough to get into the schools and hurt children. I don't want them out walking around out in front of a school where some lunatic can just pull up and make another scene right. and do something horrific. So there's got to be a way. And, you know, there, there was the No Child Left Behind program a few years ago regarding schools and, and passing. Maybe we need a No Child Left Behind program in schools to help people that feel isolated. And if you know that there are children in your school that are not making friends or they're out of it, maybe there needs to be student mentors that are assigned to them. Right. Students that when you want, you know, these kids want a change and they have to see that this change needs to take place, but they also have to realize that there are kids in their school that are bullying. There are kids in their school that are doing nasty, horrific things and, and spreading more and more hate. So what you do is you start fixing it from the inside out. You take care of the kids around you that might be lonely. You know, I just moved. My oldest son is in high school, and I forgot how damn hard it is to make friends when you're in high school. You've already kind of grown up with most of these kids through grade school and middle school, and now you're in a new school, and he doesn't really have any friends yet, and we've been there for a few months. Uh So, you know, why isn't there a mentorship program that incorporates new kids into these situations or kids that we know are being bullied so that they can feel like they belong to some community? Well, that is a good thing. I was very, very lucky, and I talk about this quite often because I don't hear anybody else talking about it. 
when I was a kid, 11 years old, we moved from Plymouth Avenue up to the West Broadway area up in, in North Minneapolis. And there were a couple of fathers up there, of friends of mine. I made friends quite easily, thank God. But uh, Andy Fisher's father and Cyril Laurent, the Laurent boy's father, were really, really nice to me and included me and they kept telling me, hey, you're going to be fine. You're a smart kid. You'll be okay. Are kids hearing that from from friends' fathers anymore? Are there any fathers no. stepping up? Is that happening anymore? I, I'm no, sure it does, everyone's, but in a very... Yeah. No one, everyone's afraid of being labeled a pedophile now. But just, I mean, they, seriously, it meant so much to me what they did. I mean, Mr. Laurent walked up and he put his arm around my shoulder and he said, Tom, you're, you're a really smart kid. You're going to do really, really well. And I want you to know we're very, very fond of you. It, was, it meant the world to me. I was a, like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid when he did it. And Andy Fisher's father used to sit at the kitchen table with me doing math, math stuff, math problems. He said, God, you're really good at math. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore, huh? Now the sense of community is gone. Yeah, it kind like of Andy is. Said, like Andy said, there are so many more concerns now than there used to be. Yeah. It didn't mean that there weren't pedophiles back then and that there right. are still pedophiles now that will act nice to you. But the fact is that everybody is now in a much more paranoid way that, hey, you put your arm around me and draw me in close to give me comforting words. I don't know that I'm real comfortable with that. Or, or, should you be touching yeah. me? And, yes, and that sexual because, harassment. Right, and then that's because of, of the world that we're in now and that it's so prevalent on our news that any kind of motion towards you starts to make people feel uncomfortable. And, and sometimes what the simple act is of literally just putting the armor on somebody and saying, you're okay, Tiger, I'm here for you, you're a good kid. Everybody's so paranoid about what your yeah. angle is. Yeah, And we've lost community. There's no communities like there was. You know, I, I grew up in 19, uh, early or late 70s through the mid-80s. And in my town in Medina, Illinois, the neighbors all knew each other. Maybe not well, but we all knew each other and knew whose kids were whose, and we all did the telegraph system down the line of, hey, where's Danny? Danny's at Dave's. Danny's at Dave's. Danny's over at Dave's. And it would spread down the road. And we all right. knew where everybody was. We didn't even have phone numbers for each other, but we'd yell out the window, and everybody knew who, who was who and what was what. But you don't have that sense of real community anymore. There's not that um, that deal. And, and truthfully, if... If Andy came home from school and you hadn't had that experience as a, as a kid, uh, Tom, and you were listening to the news nowadays, right. and Andy said, yeah, I went over to Bob's house and his dad took me aside and put his arm around me and said, you know what? You're a smart kid. You're going to do great, Andy. You're, you'd be like, what the hell is he touching my kid for? <laughs> You're right, because it's not what I can do. See, I, I, that thought never entered my – it was this great compliment that he would take time and do that. And – the touching my shoulder part of it was just, hey, I'm here for you. Don't worry about it. Exactly. My, and it's totally you know, different now, isn't it? Yeah, we had a kid in my neighborhood whose dad had passed away. And he'd come over to play catch, and I wouldn't be home. And he'd go, oh, I just came over to see if Dave wanted to play catch. And my dad would say, oh, he's not home. Hold on. And my dad would go in and get the glove, and he'd go out in the backyard and throw catch with this kid. There you go. Life. But you don't see that anymore because, again, everybody then everybody wants to know, what are you up to? See, that's, it's sad. You have to protect the children, I understand. But it's so sad that that can't happen anymore. Somebody say, hey, don't worry about it. Everything will be good. Everything will be fine. Everything will be good. I don't know. It, that makes me very, very sad that that's the situation. You know, I, I think got, we can. I think we can get to I that hope place so. again. I think people just have to get out of their, their houses, put their electronics down, 
stop staring at their phone and in the palm of their hand and talk to one another. I mean, you know, it's crappy weather here. We just moved in. No neighbors are poking their heads out right now. But uh, as soon as spring thaw hits, I plan on going around and introducing myself and uh, letting people know, hey, I'm here and I've got some kids and this is what's going on. And, you know, hey, if, if there's ever anything you guys need, we're right down the street from you. And just try to get that sense of community for myself again because it's something I miss as a child. Right. And I want my kids to grow up in a place that I don't have to worry, you know, about what are my neighbors doing and who are my neighbors and what's going on. And, you know, when you really don't know anymore, you can't live in a perpetual state of fear. You've got to live in in a place where you're all comfortable and in knowing that, hey, life is going to happen, but let's make the best of what we got instead of living in this uh, chronic terror zone you know we've been looking back lately and andy's been doing some research on this and uh we did this morning on the on the morning show we did um a search do you know the very first school shooting we could find in i guess you'd have to call it the colonies because it wasn't the united states yet the first school shooting we could find was in 1756 21 years before the United States became the United States. So we weren't even the United States yet when the first school right. shooting happened. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it, you know, you, you have school shootings, and let's not just brush over the fact that there are work shootings all the time. People all are being the time, yes. Work. Yep. Happened and, in North you know, America. In the 80s, it was going postal. Yep. Postal workers right. would shoot up places apparently yep. all the yep. time, and you never hear about that anymore. That's where going postal came from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Postal workers would a couple of a few postal workers actually. I did not know that. And you know what? It really comes down to, and I know this. Sometimes it's the simplest things that sound way too boiled down to be real. But the thing is, if we just learn to be kind to one another again, Tom. Yeah. Listen, you know what happens? You listen to these work shootings, right, where the guy goes in or the lady goes in, shoots the place up, and lets two or three people live because you were always nice to me. Yeah, that's right. You know what? Maybe that's just, right. we need to just show kindness again. And, and it's hard, man. It's hard to be kind sometimes when you're having a bad day. But you never know whose day you can turn around with a smile and a how you doing and actually stopping to listen how you doing instead of it passing in the hall, you know, where nobody really matters to anybody anymore. And if, if there was that kindness shown, I think we would start to see this dissolve. And, yeah, you're, we're all going to have those coworkers who are a pain in the ass, but you right, don't know what their right. battles are at home. You don't know what they're going through. Right. And I know you feel like you've got enough in your own life to worry about, but the kindness that you show to strangers will be reflected back in your life a hundredfold, and I believe that because you never know when it's just that word that was the thing that kept that person from going off the rails that day. Yeah, I could see that as the absolute truth. I could see that happening. I will tell you this, though, and it's something I do talk about throughout my life, several different places that I've worked, when people needed help, when they needed, you know, some money, when I, if I needed to take a pay cut so somebody wouldn't lose their job, I did it. And I will tell you this, in every single instance, those people stab me right in the back because it puts them in a position when they, where they feel beholden to that person, in me in this case, and they feel kind of weakened by it and they resent you for it because you had the ability to do it and they didn't. Therefore, you made them, they think you made them look weak. Isn't that weird? It is, but in the in the other sense of it, Tom, when you reach out your hand to somebody in need, there are the people who hear it, accept it, know what it is, and appreciate that value. So it's 
it, you know, because there are a few bad apples, we can't just turn our back on everybody no, and, no, you're and right. everybody the same. And the fact of the matter is, whether you believe in God or not or whatever's coming up next, whatever the next level is, I just want to try to go there knowing that I've done as much good as I can while I'm here. And if it means that I do good things for others and I just get my ass kicked, okay, at least I can go to bed tonight knowing I did my best to try to make other people's lives better. I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, I think it's a great way to look at life. You did what you had to do um, in, in your own mind. You didn't have to do it, but in your mind you had to do it because that's who you are. That is uh, greatly appreciated in life. People, um, There are lots of people out there that, that are very, very giving. And uh, I don't know. I just I really, really like that part of life. There's enough bad in the world that when you run across somebody really good like that, you just cherish it, don't you? Yeah, and then, you know, when you look back at it, and it's, it's, it's easier for all of us to focus on the negative and the bad things that have yep. happened to us and the bad people that turn up because they're the most raucous and irritating. And, you know, like a sliver under your skin, they're the ones that continue to cause an issue. But it's the ones that, are, that you made a, a positive impact in their lives. Sometimes you don't even realize what you've done for them. But the fact is that if you look back at how many people have had a job because of Tom Bernard or have had a step up because of Tom Bernard or whatever, you know, that's what you focus on. And, and sometimes when I lose my way in the darkness and I reach out, it's funny, my listeners will reach out to us and they'll be like, you know, I just want you to know your show saved my life or yeah. what you said the other day helped me. Or, and, and you sometimes forget that something that you said or something that you did may have helped put somebody else on a track that made their life better. And you may never hear that. And we can't live for the rewards. You know, we gotta, We just got to keep plugging ahead and doing what we do and hope that our lives make a difference. And in some way, you know, we'll, we'll have left that indelible mark that will be remembered long after we're gone. It's really funny. I just did a little business with a, a lawyer. A lawyer came to the offices here before the show started today because I had a, a transaction that I had to do. And it was very nice, very, very pleasant. And, uh, you know, we signed some documents and life was good. And, and as he was leaving, he said, how many more years are you going to do the show? Like 20 more years? I said, well, I don't know about 20 more years, but I'll do it for a while. And he goes, yeah, I don't, I don't know what we'd do without you, man. I mean, it, it just, it's, how wonderful is that for somebody to say something that nice? Yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know what we'd do without the, uh, without the morning show. Right. We heard that the other day at dinner. Some random person walked up to you yeah. and said, thank you for being there and waking me up every day and being my friend. That's, that's huge. It is. It's so, so nice. It'll, you start weighing that against a few yep. insignificant jackasses that have made your life bad, but realize how many more good things you did. That's that's pretty powerful. No question about it. Now, we're going to see you in studio tomorrow, right? Yep, I will be there tomorrow. Looking forward to it, Pally. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Dave. Darkness Dave, ladies and gentlemen. Darkness Radio, Beyond the Darkness, of course, podcast. Doing very, very well in the world. I like Dave's take on things because he studies that uh, stuff like, you know, the school shootings and the conspiracy theorists. And, and I, it is pretty amazing. I know that the whole school shooting was fake and all those 29 funerals were all fake. What? Does anybody get that intricate at anything? You can have 29 fake funerals to get people to give up their rifle? People? Yeah, someone would be talking. Tons of people think that 9-11 was still a conspiracy. I know. Yeah, that's true. Like Jesse Ventura, for one. A lot of people. We'll be right back. We have a very special guest coming up next, Patrick J. Deneen. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here. If you're ready to sell your home, you've probably heard that you should wait until spring. But why wait for temperatures to rise when the market is hot right now? 
Not selling in winter is a total myth. Truth is, buyers are hungry. And while other sellers and real estate agents hibernate, the Chris Lindahl team is selling homes like hotcakes. Chris has done a great job. We have our house on the market with Chris right now, as a matter of fact. And the video he did is amazing. The Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX results team for a reason. They play to win, and they've got the skilled players to sell your home fast. In fact, they sell a home on average every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until spring to sell your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD. That's 763-401-SOLD. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value, and it's only going to the first two Tom Bernard Show callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Call now, get the free staging package, and grab the opportunity before winter is over. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. In the second place, they're all completely gassed. They've given it everything on the global bucket. It's Steven Nelson leading Jesse Diggins into the final turn. Can Diggins answer? As the roars rattle around the cross-country stadium in Pyeongchang, Sweden, the U.S. and Norway come into the line. Here comes Diggins! Here oh, comes Diggins! Diggins making the play around Sweden. Jesse yes! Diggins yes! to the line. Yes! And it is yes! Jesse Diggins delivering a long Sorry, Patrick, but we had to play it. She's a she's a Minnesota woman, twenty six years old, Ms. Diggins. Je- it's Jessica Diggins, right? Yeah, Jesse. Yeah. Jesse Diggins uh, won the gold medal. She and the team won the gold medal. You, pardon me. I saw that in the paper this morning. Congratulations. Nah, it's very very exciting. You know, Minnesota. It's. Yep. Freezing cold and the weather sucks. So and our sports team sucks. And our sports team yeah. sucks. So it's just one of those. Hey, try deals. living, try living in South Bend, Indiana. We don't even <laughs> South Bend. Yeah, plenty of good stuff happening in South Bend. Yeah, I know. We sometimes we have a good football team. Sometimes you have a really good football team. As a matter yeah, of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you do. Patrick J. Deneen. Radical critique challenges us to think hard about liberalism's inherent flaws. Um, I find it interesting. There was an article that I read in the first hour of the show today that talked about the the KKK is losing favor with millennials because it's apparently too boring. And uh, the news service that delivered the story that said far right-wing millennials are turning away from the KKK and finding their own white supremacy group. How do they know they're far right-wing millennials? Because uh, I believe the KKK was started by the Democratic Party, the Dixiecrats in the South. So why is it just assumed now that everyone that wants to be a member of a a psycho organization like that uh, feels one way or the other politically? I don't understand that. How do you automatically assume this is what I think across the board because I'm nuts? It it makes no sense to me. Um, Patrick, I grew up in a a house, very, very poor family. I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, My mother was a diner waitress. She was a hardline Democrat. I mean, she didn't get nuts about it. She didn't hate Republicans or anything like that. Uh, That was not the situation. Uh, So I grew up. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, one of the reasons I think my mother was a Democrat is because I did grow up Roman Catholic and JFK was elected president and having a Catholic president was a very big deal in my house. I'll tell you that. She uh, really enjoyed that. So I grew up around, you know, the, the Democratic Party and then got to know some Republicans as well. But I tell people this all the time. They ask me, why are you not still later in life? Now, why are you not still a Democrat? And I said, because in my mind, the Democratic Party has turned on Martin Luther King and his whole idea and his ideals. To me, all that matters is the content of, of one's character. All of this hating one another over what we think and what we feel. I, since it, do you think it's fair for me to think that the Democratic Party has turned its back on Martin Luther King Jr.? Well, the, um, many, much of the language of today's identity politics departs from Martin Luther King's emphasis on a kind of shared yep. destiny that we have as citizens and that we should be judged based on the content of our character. And I think, of course, on college campuses today where you see so much identity politics, there is obviously a far left that favors identity politics, but yeah. you know, there, there are some really noble people on the left, uh, you call them sort of old-fashioned liberals, who are critical of identity politics for exactly this reason. So you see both people on what you would think is the right and the left uh, um, articulating criticisms of, uh, of this kind of identity politics. Mm -hmm. Why liberalism failed? So why did liberalism fail? Well, uh, I guess I, I could start with a kind of a story, which is... Um, I like stories. I <laughs> yeah, but we, we've 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 grown up, and I think we've grown up in a time. Um, I won't won't assume your age, but my my age, in which we, you know, in the wake of the Cold War, we sort of thought that there was a uh, that the two poles you could identify politically was either kind of on the pole of individual rights and autonomy of of, of individuals on the side of the right, and statism and collectivism on the side mm -hmm. of the left. And over the years, something that I've really noticed in my, especially in my students, as, as I've gotten a bit older and they're getting seemingly younger, is that uh, that divide doesn't exist anymore for them. Uh, they're, they're the most individualistic human beings that have ever existed, probably in the, in the history of the world. Uh, they're, they're not getting married. They're not having children. They don't join a religion. If they grew up in a religion, they're leaving it in record numbers. They're not patriotic. They don't join political parties. They show very low levels of trust. And you could keep going down the kind of social science data. But on the other hand, they're, they're, they're very enthusiastic supporters of, of what we would think of as statism. They, they overwhelmingly voted for Barack Obama. They see the state as their kind of friend and partner. And kind of what I came to realize was that there's a kind of fascinating kind of wedding that's taken place between individualism and statism, that the state increasingly can provide the things, the goods, that allow people to live lives disconnected disconnected with each other. Mm -hmm. And so the irony is that, I'm, as I suggest, liberalism has failed because it's not statism versus individualism anymore. It's kind of the perfect wedding between the two. You know, I, I'm going to have to mull that for a second because it's kind of scary in a way. So the marriage of the two, um, for a long time, yeah, without getting into I'm probably older than you are. As I said, I was, I was around when JFK was elected president. I was very, very young. Well, I was 11 years old when he was elected president. No, excuse me. I was 11 years old when he was assassinated. I was only eight years old when he was elected uh, president of the United States. So you know about how old I am now. Matter of fact, you know exactly how old I am now. <laughs> 
what I've watched, and again, we grew up extremely poor, a very, very poor family. So you had this feeling like, you know, we're, we are maybe, I wonder if my mom is catching the short end of the stick. Uh, my dad was, was not present in the house. Um, you know, let's all band together and let's all, you know, uh, become socialists and that'll be one. But then I kept reading about socialism and how it never works. Has, well, I suppose socialism in Norway works because they have so much oil money that I guess socialism can work there. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's probably, if you're going to have socialism, make sure you have a lot of oil. <laughs> make sure you have a lot of dough going in to cover oh, it everything. Didn't seem to work out. didn't seem to work out in Venezuela, that's so. uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was just about to say, how did they mess that one up? How did they, Patrick? How I know that Hugo Chavez was a murdering scumbag, but how did that entire country fall apart? Because he's been dead, what, a couple of years now, right? Right. Well, I think they're starting to run out of oil as part of the problem, so it's hard to continue to sort of uh, uphold a society without any productive capacity whatsoever without that basis anymore. So I should. what I should do is I should step up as the Hugo Chavez of North Dakota then. I could just take over the entire state of North Dakota. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. What does a young person, because my son Andy, who you just heard there, he's 31 years old. Uh, our daughter, uh, uh, Alex, is in studio as well. She's just turned 29 years old. What should these people look for? Because it's not Democrats and Republicans anymore. It's not conservatives and it's not liberals. It, it changes, it seems to me, on a daily basis. What do they have to look forward to as far as political ideals? Well, I, I actually think that uh, I'm, I teach at, 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 I've taught at fairly elite universities, and it's been an honor and a privilege to be at some of these institutions. But on the other hand, uh, the students that I teach, which you would think they'd sort of feel like they grabbed the brass ring, they are the most anxious, uh, insecure human beings right. maybe have ever existed, uh, because they know how perilous and how fragile their success is. The only thing they have to fall back on, they recognize, the only thing they have to fall back on is their own sort of continued success, and in some cases, luck, uh, just to continue to uh, stay on top of the game. In other words, what we, we created a society, and I have a chapter in my book called Liberalism as Anti-Culture. In order to create these free and liberated individuals, uh, we've actually flattened culture. You described the way you grew up, and it's not unlike the way that I grew up. Mm -hmm. But one thing we did have was a very thick culture, a kind of set, set of institutions that we could turn to, and memberships and relationships that we had. So even if you weren't well off, it wasn't that you necessarily felt like you were on the brink of sort of falling off the face of the earth. Correct. You actually kind of felt some degree of security, knowing that you had friends and neighbors and family, often extended family. Uh, our students today, these young people today, uh, they kind of know they're on their own. And uh, as a result, this anti-culture that has freed us has also in some ways created a condition in which these young people will often turn to the state because it's the only thing that they feel that can secure their futures. Uh, so the irony is that which makes us more free actually ends up kind of putting us into a new state of bondage. Patrick, it's interesting you bring that up because just in the previous hour we were talking about the fact, and I'll do this very quickly because we literally were just talking about this, that when I was a young boy, 13 years old, 14 years old, my father was not present in the house. My mother worked 12, 14, 16 hours a day. But two of my friend's fathers took me aside and said, Tom, you're a smart kid. You're going to do fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, Mr. Laurent, 
put put his hand on my shoulder and said, "Tom, we're very very fond of you. You're you're a good kid, and just keep moving." If somebody's father touched your kid nowadays, you'd have a fit. But all he was trying to say is, hey, we're here for you. Don't worry about it. How did we lose that, Patrick, when putting your hand on someone's shoulder meant I support you, not that I want to you know, hit the sack with you or whatever it is? Well, one of the, one of the ways that this, uh, what I call this anti-culture works yes. is, to, uh, is to, we could say, you know, it, it, the condition of our liberty is not to be too closely bound up with other people. Right, is to uh, is to have easy exit in and out of relationships. Right, you could say d- divorce culture is kind of a version of this anti culture. Right, right. So to view marriage as a maybe a kind of temporary arrangement, and when it ceases to be sufficiently pleasing to each of us or even one of us, we can exit, and you create a con- easy conditions of easy exit. But notice what happens when you do that: you lose the capacity for trust. You simply don't know the other people. You suspect that they're going to back out or. They're, they're simply looking for their own interest. And so rather than these fathers really having your interest in mind and looking out for you, you begin to suspect they're just in it for themselves, and they're looking to get something. I see. Uh, and it's probably not too good what they're looking for. Right. And when did that happen? Because I had no, I mean, obviously nothing did happen except for these people, these fathers. Uh, one was Mr. Fisher. One was Mr. Laurent. One of them told me, hey, we're very fond of you. The whole family just really loves having you around, you'll do well. The other one, we used to sit at his kitchen table and do math problems. You know, he just he tried to teach me things. And, and uh, there was never, ever, ever a chance that anything untoward was going to happen. Uh, it just makes me sad that that can't really exist anymore because there's too much danger involved. Well, you ask when this happened, and I actually think it's kind of one of those comparable situations to the frog being slowly boiled. Um, I, I think this has been a kind of long process. And this is why I say in this book, liberalism has failed. This, this idea that we could be free by freeing ourselves from every other human being, uh, it's failed because it succeeded. That's the irony, that the very thing that we yeah. thought, the very thing that we, we wanted to create, now that we've created it, has uh, put us into this kind of condition of bondage. But I do end the book by saying, uh, if we really are free, if we really are people that can exercise freedom, then I would reject the idea that um, I think, as you put it, that these kinds of these kinds of relationships can't exist anymore. I mean, I really think that I hope that's true. We have to correctly diagnose our condition, and that's the first step. Right. And then the next step is to begin to think: How do we repair this? Um, and how do we how do we change this current state of affairs? And and once we understand the state of affairs, then we can act. Uh, and I think I I would. I wrote this book in part that I want to encourage not just college professors. I didn't write this for college professors. I wrote it, I hope, for regular folks uh, to encourage us to think about the concrete steps we can take to change the state of affairs. I think it's a wonderful thing you did this. I, 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 and I, I suppose a lot of people are going to see the title and go, oh, my God, that's just horrible. Uh, do people judge that quickly? Well, a lot of people see it and they simply think I'm talking about liberal Democrats at the left, and I'm right. talking about something a bit deeper than that. Yes. Um, it's, it includes <laughs> it includes the, the liberal left, but I think it also includes many people on the right, yep. uh, because the right has been taken up with describing freedom in the same way, uh, that freedom is really the liberation of the individual. Uh, and uh, I consider myself a conservative, but but by, by conservative, I think we have to understand what it is we're trying to conserve. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, conservatives haven't been really good at conserving things. I mean, we've been in political power for a long time, but the culture's kind of continued to decay. 
And what it shows to me is that winning elections is relatively easy. Conserving a culture is actually really kind of hard. It's very hard, as a matter of fact. Freedom of speech uh, right now scares me to death because it seems to be disappearing. Why Liberalism Failed, Patrick J. Deneen, D-E-N-E-E-N. Patrick, thank you so much. Great, great thinking, great idea. Thanks for writing the book, Why Liberalism Failed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure. We'll be back, Tom Bernard Show.